Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. Yes, I am well. And, you know, it's been an eventful week. Just uh, we had certain things we were going to talk about. And then two nights ago, there's this uh, this uh, surprise uh, breaking story with the FBI conducting a raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, President Trump's home in South Florida. As the hours go by, I am just more and more and more shocked that it happened. Um, you know, the, 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 the information at the time on Monday night sort of speculation was that perhaps it was related to presidential documents that rightfully belonged to the NRA. I'm not sorry, not the NRA, the had one of those time, one of those days, the National Archives. I was thinking National Archives and Records Administration, but anyway, um, and and that's just ridiculous. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to think surely there's something more, but apparently there's not. Uh, one of the Trump lawyers was um, being interviewed today and said that no, that's the she had uh, obviously received a copy of the search warrant. Um, and said, no, that's that's what it was about. And I wanted to get into that just a moment because I know you've spent time as an assistant district attorney. You were a prosecutor, so you had uh, more experience than I have with uh, the, the getting search warrants and executing them and all that. And I'm just – can you tell the listener kind of just as, as a basic matter what it takes for law enforcement at any level to get a search warrant, and then what do they do with it? A search warrant – it stems or flows from the constitutional protections in the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitutions that that protects people against unreasonable searches and seizures, which are not based upon probable cause. Probable cause has been defined as information that would lead a, a reasonably prudent person to believe that in the case of an arrest, that a, a crime has been committed and person X did it or with regard to a search warrant, that um, evidence of a crime or, I guess, like maybe contraband, you know, not necessarily evidence of a crime, but the results of a, you know, physical results of a crime um, would be found in a search of person X or place Y. Uh, would, a, would a reasonably per- prudent person believe that? Um, typically, and, and you know, it may differ a little bit in the federal system, but in, in, in state court, at least 20 years ago when I was prosecuting, you know, we, we really didn't deal with search warrants. Um, law enforcement prepared them. Law enforcement uh, would, you know, sort of handle that aspect of, of, of any case. A lot of times, even before we were even aware that there was a case, um, they would prepare the paperwork. You know, here's what we want to do. Here's the basis upon which we think we have probable cause. And they write it out, you know, and they talk about the officer's training and whether there's a confidential informant. And if so, uh, the indicia of reliability of a confidential informant, which could be particularized knowledge, or it could be this person in the past has provided uh, true and accurate information. They swear to it. It's an affidavit. And then they, and sometimes it's more than one officer, but typically it's one officer. And then they see a judicial official, be it a magistrate 
um, or a judge. Uh, and the judge either finds probable cause or does not. Probable cause, while it's it's a, I guess it's an articulable standard, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not math. I mean, it, there, there's some wiggle room there. It's um, a fairly low standard, correct? Yeah, fairly low standard. That's exactly right. And, you know, they're typically issued and then they're executed. And each jurisdiction has a little bit of different um, procedure with regard to how they're how they're to be executed. You know, you hear the term no knock warrant, which means that law enforcement doesn't have to um, announce um, their entry and knock on the door. They can literally kick the door in. Um, but but, you know, one of the quirks about North Carolina law is that the warrant, the search warrant has to be read aloud, even if no one's home. Um, which I always found amusing. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to, to, you have to go there. If, if someone's there, you, you leave, a, you leave the copy of it after you, you know, you leave a copy of it with the person or if no one's there, you post it, but it's a fairly low standard. But the notion that you'd need a search warrant on these facts, when the president was meeting with the uh, national archives folks and, uh, you know, had his lawyers involved and, uh, you know, they, they could have obtained it with a search warrant. I mean, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Second mistake tonight with a, a subpoena, um, any number of, of, of ways to get that. It, it, it just and then they show up with the M4s and, you know, they don't knock. And apparently they were spent a lot of time in uh, Melania's closet. Um, they had, as you said, you know, I guess at least approved a, a, a lock somewhere. And then they, you know, they broke into his safe and various things. Um, is it strikes me as overkill. Yeah, and along that line, you know, the Trump just put out a statement, just you know, within the last hour or so, in which he said that the FBI had asked his legal team in early June to put an extra lock on the door to the room where boxes of documents reportedly marked classified were kept. And then he wrote, and this is a quote, they were shown the secured area and the boxes themselves. Then on Monday, without notification or warning, an army of agents broke into Mar-a-Lago, went to the same storage area, and ripped open the lock that they had asked to be installed. A surprise attack, politics, and all the while our country is going to hell. End quote. You know, and I have to say, frankly, when it came out they were looking for these documents, that just seemed like a pretense to me to... If, to, to, you know, either intimidate Trump or to find something else while they were there. It's just hard to believe they would get a search warrant for that reason. Yeah, I agree. You know, Trump, when he was president, as all presidents, is the final say on what's classified and what level it might be class at which it might be classified and what's not. And he can, with the stroke of a pen, declassify, unclassify anything he wants to. Now, we don't know that he did that, but he certainly could have. And that was okay. an issue that came up sometime during the Trump administration when he was meeting with either the Russian ambassador or the Chinese ambassador, and he told them something, and people later said, well, that was classified information. And it was pointed out, well, he's the president. He can choose what information he releases or not. That's uh, right. Some question of the classification of it in the first place, but it really didn't matter since it was the president making the decision to say it. Right. And, and of course, you know, we have uh, various people on both sides of the political spectrum who are quite persuasive in saying that a, lot, a whole lot of what the government classifies should not be classified. But, 
you know, the president could do that. I read today that when Obama left office in 2017, so a little over five and a half years ago, um, he took with him an, a, a huge number of documents. And none of his do- presidential documents have been digitized and cataloged and, and published whatsoever. And that's fine. But uh, there's a dispute, apparently, with the president, uh, the last president. And, and so he gets a, a, an early morning, I'm sorry, a late night raid or, or maybe it was an early morning. I don't remember exactly the timing of it, but um, that, that just smacks of politics. Um, and, and, you know, the, the Department of Justice and the attorney general, the director of the FBI are not saying anything while this is kind of festering. And that makes it look worse. And, you know, if, if they don't say something, it seems to me, in the next 12 to 36 hours, and if we get to the weekend and they've not essentially justified why they did what they did, I, I think they they really have stepped in it. Um, oh, I agree. And, you know, not only is it the issue with these documents, like you mentioned, Obama taking documents, but, you know, I heard someone who used to be with the National Archives saying, it doesn't matter unless they're the original documents, that if he takes copies and there may be questions about whether they're classified or not, but that's a separate deal from they need to be in the president's records with the National Archives. That's right. Uh, you know, the, the, so I don't know if these were copies or originals or what, but it really seems to me that they're playing with fire. Uh, and ever since January 6th, when I've had to hear all these Democrats and two Republicans lecturing us about democratic norms and, and that kind of thing. And then you go and execute a raid of a former president's home. Uh, no, I agree with you. I think they're just playing with fire at this point. And, and not just a former president, but the most likely Republican nominee in 2024 for president, if he chooses to run. Good point. Um, Good point. And, and, you know, imagine if, uh, the FBI had done this in October of 2020 to do something with the Hunter Biden laptop or based upon that, the media would have been apoplectic, you know, but here they, they applaud and they, you know, um, MSNBC had someone on talking about go buy a newspaper and fold it carefully because this is one of those events where you'll always remember where you were when you heard, that this had happened and, and, you know, things like that. And it's, it's just ridiculous. If they had anything on president Donald J. Trump, they would have, they would have charged him long ago. Uh, and they didn't, you know, I'm reminded too, Ed, and you helped me here. My memory's not what it used to be, but when the Clintons left the white house, did they not take either China or furniture or some property of the government with them? I mean, it wasn't just like a few pieces either. It was, tens of thousands of dollars worth back to Arkansas and somebody had to say, Hey, wait a minute. That's, that's not yours. That belongs to the government. And uh, they had to send it back. Yeah. My recollection is that it was furniture. There, there could have been some China involved also, but I remember furniture that they took and ultimately I, I guess it got returned, but they just kind of claimed it. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like it was one lamp that they weren't, they didn't remember where it came from. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. And they just took it, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's okay. Um, and of course, you know, they probably shouldn't have been charged with that. You know, they look kind of bad, at least to normal people, maybe not to the left wing media, but you know, you just tell them, Hey, bring it back. 
this is a situation where you've got a few documents. There's probably a dispute as to whether they're really personal or they're really governmental or maybe they're just copies or whether he might need them to write a book or whatever. And, and you know, I just they're negotiating a return of, of things. And, and Two points to that. Like you say, his legal team had been talking with the government's legal team about some of this stuff. But then, as we read a moment ago, if it's true that the FBI said, oh, we'll just put another lock on that storage room, and they complied with that, to then come up with a warrant to take the same information from the same room that they'd already looked at, uh, that just makes it look like you know they're just coming up with some creative excuse to get in there. Yeah. And let's talk about this magistrate who signed this thing. Well, you know, he, he's, been, he's been mentioned a lot in the news because he had represented – Jeffrey Epstein in the past, and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I want to hear what you think about that. I guess he was a criminal defense attorney in private practice. He probably represented a lot of bad well, he dudes. Was, he was actually the assistant U.S. attorney who let Jeffrey Epstein plead guilty to the sweetheart deal that, remember, the Trump Secretary of Labor uh, had approved as the U.S. attorney, and then he kind of got some egg on his face over that. And as a result, the state of Florida came back in and prosecuted Epstein a little more um, uh, to kind of make up for the, the lack of federal prosecution. In the middle of that effort, that prosecution, he established um, his private practice or set it up with, a, with an address that was the exact same as one of the defense lawyers who was representing one of either Epstein or one of the Epstein defendants. Um, and then several months later, he uh, left government service and, and went on his own. And he represented several of the Epstein co-defendants who were cooperating with the government. And, and he, he was a donor to Obama's presidential campaign. He gave $500 to um, uh, low energy Jeb Bush uh, during the 2016 primary, um, but he's posted any number of left-wing screed posts on Facebook and Twitter. He, I forget which one, he took one down or, or, or made it uh, private yesterday, but he forgot to take the other one down. There are all these screenshots from that. Um, it, it's just a mess, and it, it really reinforces the message that there are two systems of justice in our country, one for big wig elite Democrats and their minions and one for everybody else. I don't disagree with that message. I'm just not sure I get it from the fact that the same magistrate was involved. You know, so many of the, uh, the judges, whether it's district court judges or even magistrates, they're all politically appointed. And so many of them have spoken out and given donations to one party or the other. I, I'm not sure that, and I guess that's something we need to know. You know, what evidence was presented to this magistrate? Was it the same that, you know, any other magistrate would have issued a warrant on that? I just don't yeah. think they've explained that whatsoever. And, of course, the, the, the search warrant itself is sealed, and that's that's problematic. Well, it's sealed, you know? but the, the Trumps have a, a copy. Um, they have not released yeah, they, their copy. I, I, don't, they, they, I don't think and, they're allowed. And I'm not sure that they have it all, though. Well, they may um, not have it all. Yeah. And and they say, well, it's not their burden to show why this is necessary, and I, I somewhat agree with that. But there's also this notion, if if particular um, and specific classified 
documents are referred to that that they may not be no one may be able to release um, the whole search warrant and of course how convenient you know um, it just Brandeis said that sunshine is the best antiseptic and he's so right um, you know it just uh, I don't know how it works in the federal system in state court search warrants are public record and but but they're not often filed in the court file because usually someone's not charged when they're obtained. So I, I don't know how they do it in Mecklenburg County, but in, in, in our county, the, there's a it used to be a basket. But as we've gotten larger, it's, it's not just a basket anymore, but where search warrants that have been uh, either denied or granted and executed are placed in this basket. And anybody that wants to can go in there and look at all the search warrants. Um, and when it's returned, if, it, if, if, if a search warrant is granted and when it's returned, there's an inventory there of what's seized. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's just a shame that, that the public doesn't know. Um, well, I think under the Public Records Act, there would be some argument that there's still an investigation pending in, under North Carolina law. And that is an exception to releasing the information. Now, as a matter of course, they may keep them in a basket and just let people, you know, r- reporters mostly look through them, but I think there would at least be an argument that you don't have to release it. But let me, let me ask you one other question about this because, you know, the situations come up in law enforcement and with police investigations where they see things that they weren't looking for. Mm-hmm. And I believe the general rule is if police were somewhere that they had a lawful right to be and they see evidence of some other crime, that they, you know, there's no suppression argument there. That's correct. And they're obligated to seize or take action based on what they see. So if you get a lawful warrant, uh, you establish probable cause and a magistrate signs off on a search warrant, you, and the officer or the agent in this case has a lawful right to be there, are they allowed to then seize information of potential other crimes that they come upon? And I'm not saying there actually is evidence of other Trump crimes. I'm saying that maybe this is a pretense to look for other things. That's right. But if 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 a court or court official reviewing uh, evidence that's seized in terms of whether or not to suppress believes that the warrant, while on its face legal, was mere, a mere pretense to get somewhere they otherwise could not have gotten in order to find evidence of other crimes, then that would be a basis upon which that evidence of other crimes should be suppressed. Um, and, you know, there is, a, as you said, a lot of speculation out there by a lot of people, a lot smarter than I am, who say that this is all about finding something on uh, January the 6th. I, you know, I don't know that I totally buy into that. I think it's an interesting theory. I'm, I'm inclined that way. But I, Mark Elias, who is a um, Democrat operative lawyer, um, he was involved with the fella who got charged by John Durham with lying to the FBI. And he, he had to leave that firm and he went out on his own recently. Um, that guy was acquitted, by the way. And we talked about that on a prior show. But he put something out on the Internet Monday night, where he basically said, let me shine the light on why, uh, those are my words, not his, why this happened. And he he attached a 
copy, a photocopy of the statute on the Records Act. And there's a provision in there that says that anyone convicted of violating that act is barred from serving in federal office in the future. And he, he, he said uh, essentially that they want to catch Trump having violated that act so that he can't be president anymore. Now, you know, how many times have they made an effort to try to prevent President Trump from being able to, to, to run and serve uh, as president again? I can name two impeachments. Yeah, but I think that statute is unconstitutional because you can't amend the Constitution or modify it by statute. And, and that is not a qualification. That is not. That's exactly right. So I, I tend to think it's, you know, the effort is is probably more um, ordinary than than the January 6th. I mean, yeah, if you get something on January 6th, great. But I, I think it was really this uh, try to bar him from office for this records act, because if they had something from January 6th, believe me, we'd have seen it by now. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. So, you know, until this raid happened, I guess, you know, the big story that I, I wanted to mention to you is this, that the Senate passed 50-50 and then Kamala broke the tie, this, what they call the Inflation Reduction Act, which will not reduce in inflation, um, hasn't passed the House yet. So Pelosi says it'll be voted on this Friday. The president said today there's, there's no more, inflation is zero. And Kamala Harris said the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw that. He said we have zero inflation. Yeah. He said it with a straight face, too. Yeah, and then he said we need to pass the Inflation Reduction Act quickly. Well, if there's no inflation, why do you need to pass the Inflation Reduction Act quickly? Yeah. And Politico reported, here, here are some numbers. Politico reported that since Biden's been in office, Congress passed and he signed the uh, uh, American Recovery Act, $1.9 trillion. Infrastructure bill that was five hundred and fifty billion. The Chips Act, which just passed within the last couple of weeks, two hundred and eighty billion. And now this Inflation Reduction Act, which according to Politico is seven hundred billion. And you know there are lots of different numbers out there. So you know, in case you're not keeping that math in your head, that's an additional three and a half trillion dollars in spending in like a year and a half to dump into the economy. Now it's over different periods of time. Some of it's over ten years. Some of it's you know front loaded. Things like that, but still, three and a half trillion more dollars being pumped out by the federal government. And with a straight face, they named it Inflation Reduction Act. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, the other piece of that act that's gotten a lot of press this week is the 87,000 new IRS agents. The IRS had a, uh, a page, if you will, on their website where they were talking about hiring agents and the qualifications and you had to be willing to use deadly force. Yeah. And what do you need um, that many new IRS agents for? Well, if you're yeah, not, if you're not going that. to be investigating your average taxpayer. Yeah. The average seating capacity in SEC football stadiums, as we sit here tonight, is 72,000. Yeah. That's 15,000 less than the number of IRS agents they want to hire. There was a map floating around the Internet that showed geographically the United States and where most of the audits occur. And it's the Mississippi Delta. 
and it's the, the South, it's poor areas. They're not auditing, for the most part, people in New York and Massachusetts and Los Angeles, San Francisco. They're picking on lower middle class and lower class folks because the rich people and the corporations have lawyers and accountants to help them, assist them. And basically, uh, the federal government has kind of decided it seems that it's just not worth it. And and their their folks are under underpaid and overworked, and and I guess that's why they think they need new agents. But what they're going to do is they're going to come after mom and pop Americans and say you didn't pay your taxes. They have this ridiculous new requirement that any transaction above six hundred dollars has to be reported to the IRS. Uh, and one of these eighty seven thousand new IRS agents is going to show up at your door with a gun, um, and you know, you're supposed to believe that you'll be treated fairly. Well, and here's the other reason they need those 87,000 agents. It's not because the current agents are overworked and, and, and tired. I think that's what you said. But, you know, they, they are using that as a justification for paying for this bill. So the whole idea that it's an Inflation Reduction Act is because they say it's going to reduce the deficit. Well, how's it going to reduce the deficit if you're spending this much money? Well, because we'll capture all of this money which isn't being paid in taxes. Well, that makes some assumptions. First, that people are out there cheating on taxes. And second, that your agents are going to be able to uncover that. And then, I guess, third, that the that the amount they recover is more than what you just paid for the agent salary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, you know, I would have no issue if you were hiring eighty-seven thousand border patrol agents, you know, to deal with the problems we have there. Uh, but th- yeah, this is ridiculous. Well, if if this passes the House as it's currently written, the IRS will be larger than Customs and Border Patrol, Department of State, and the civilian Department of De- civilian employees and Department of Defense. Yeah, yeah. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells you that, you know, this administration and the Democrats in Congress, they're all about, hey, let's let's create more of a deep state so we can protect ourselves. And what did Donald Trump say? Tell us. He said, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I'm the only thing standing in their way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and both these stories together, to me, just indicate, you know, it's, it's pushing Trump toward running again if he weren't already. And I think he is. Yep. So I, I wanted to mention this story to you that I saw in the Wall Street Journal uh, August 4th. So it was last week. Dan Frosch and Zusha Ilinson. The title of this article is Gun Trafficking Surges Across State Lines, One Pistol's 1,200-Mile Journey to a Boston Homicide. And I thought it was interesting that a pistol could travel 1,200 miles because it doesn't have legs and doesn't really have mobility. But somehow it was able to travel 1,200 miles. Not that a person took it, but it traveled. It probably teamed up with its friend, the SUV. There you go. Yeah, maybe that's it. But this article starts out and it says uh, the tan and black pistol sat inside a stack of tires at the end of an alleyway dropped there, police said, by a teenage gunman as he ran from the scene. And it goes on to describe a 17-year-old popular youth basketball star who was killed on the Boston pavement dying from a gunshot wound on April 15th of 2020. Well, the point of the story is that there was this guy. Uh, so now we find out there was actually a guy that did something with this in 
uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who had some financial problems because of child support. His name was Demarcus Walker. So he walks into a pawn shop. And between November 2019 and March of 2020, he bought 30 handguns at this pawn shop. And then he did it because these gun traffickers said they'd pay him like 50 bucks a gun, as well as what he paid. Then they moved these guns to other uh, states, particularly Massachusetts in this case. But the whole point of the story is that a lot of states which have gun laws, they're not successful in tamping down tr- crime because of the gun trafficking, which is coming from other states like Alabama or states that might not have the same level of caring, I think is po- their point. And so, you know, that got me thinking, well, OK, so if somebody is, is walking in, if you walk into a pawn shop, there's a federal form you fill out, uh, 4473. One of the questions on that is, are you buying this gun for yourself, this firearm for yourself? If you answer no, that's a showstopper. You can't buy it. That's called a straw man purchase when you're buying something for somebody else. The idea being they may not be legally allowed to do it. So as in this case with Mr. Walker, they're, you know, the criminals are hiring him to do it. So anyway, it made me wonder, well, if this is such a problem, surely the federal government is doing something about it, Right. Does that seem reasonable? It does, but they didn't do anything to, to Hunter Biden, who lied on his hit 4473. That's a very good point. But so I went looking for some data. The most recent data I found was a, a GAO study, the Government Accountability Office, from 2018. And the data is from 2017. In that case, they said that the year before, 2017, there had been 8.6 million transactions through the National Instant Background System. 112,000 denials. They investigated 12,710 cases. And all the U.S. attorney's offices and all of the land prosecuted 12 cases. 12? 12 cases out of 12,000 investigations. So That's unbelievable. So, you know, you're going to have stories about people who die in, in other parts of the country and criminals who have guns, but... There seems to be no interest in law enforcement, or rather in the Department of Justice, prosecuting these cases. Yet they want to add all kinds of new gun laws. If they would just enforce the laws that are on the books, the laws against murder, the laws against assault, gun laws that are currently in place, you'd solve your crime problem. And certainly make a big dent in it. Certainly you could make an effort. So yeah, I just want to bring to. that story out because I thought it was interesting. And, you know, when we keep hearing about needing new gun laws, like you say, you're not prosecuting the old ones. You're not prosecuting the bad guys who are out there trying to get illegal guns. Right. And if so you don't prosecute with their time, I'm sorry, what? What What are they doing with their time? Well, you know, I'm sure there are other cases, but not these types of cases. But these should be a priority because what happens if a guy walks into a one pawn shop they run a background check and it's denied. Well, what's going to happen if he's not prosecuted? He's just going to go to another, another pawn, pawn shop. shop and not lie and get the gun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then his sister-in-law slash girlfriend will then go dump it in a dumpster near a school behind a grocery store and the Secret Service will come help find it. Well, But I digress. Yeah, but we you do know, know that. was on Air Force One today going to vacation at Kiowa Island, 
with the president. Yeah, and the first lady. Don't you think that's an awkward uh, trio? Yeah, but 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 Paul Pelosi, who went to China, and she tried to scrub all references to him. And that's not that's not husband Paul Pelosi. That's that's son right. That's Paul Junior. Pelosi. Yeah. Um, but but he didn't do any business while he was there. He was just escorting her because spouses were invited, but some of them couldn't go. That being Paul Senior, perhaps because he had his. DWI case, although he didn't go, his lawyer handled it for him, his arraignment um, last uh, Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, you're exactly right. Paul Sr., he had to be in court. So I guess they sent Paul Jr. to check into the family investments in Taiwan. NASDAQ Nancy, isn't that what they're calling her? NASDAQ Nancy, yeah. Yeah. There are apparently websites that are devoted to just tracking uh, stock investments by members of Congress. Follow what these people do. They know something. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's on your radar for the next week, Lee? Well, I think this uh, this whole situation with the raid on Mar-a-Lago, um, the economy, um, is uh, the, are the two things. Uh, that, that You sent me an interesting uh, post from Twitter um, that seems to show um, almost a decapitation of the – Russian Air Force, uh, or a portion of it, on the ground by the Ukrainians in recent days. That hasn't got a lot of publicity in the in the mainstream media. But yeah, apparently Russia has now admitted that nine planes were destroyed on the ground. But the analyst who had posted that information said he counted thirty-seven from before and after photos. Right. And, and and he also said that even more difficult in terms of losses to the Soviets uh, or repercussions, consequences, was the loss of some personnel who were technical uh, folks and uh, apparently got uh, or casualties in this uh, raid or, or whatever it was. So, you know, Ukraine is still out there. And I think it's important to to kind of keep our eyes on that, even though I don't know that. I mean, you know, we talked about this last week. China is where our focus ought to be, but it seems to be on Europe. And Ukraine apparently was spent another or sent another billion dollars in military assistance this week, or at least promised it. So, pocket change. Yeah, it's a bunch of money. Um, What's on your radar? Well, Tuesday is the Wyoming primary, and um, I'm expecting to see Liz Cheney relieved of of uh, needing to run for office in November. Uh, so, you know, we'll just see what happens on, on Tuesday night. But I have to think that the voters of Wyoming are going to think that better about sending her back to Congress. Yeah, the, the polls don't really show it even being close. Yeah. Um, I mean, 20, 30 percent margin. And, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, the attorney general of New York deposed Trump today. I guess he took the Fifth Amendment for most of the questions. Uh, so, you know, what I'd yeah. been wondering is how quickly something would leak out of that deposition, but maybe nothing will since maybe nothing was answered. I don't know. We'll hear more about that, I think, in the next week. Yeah, and before we go, and I meant to send it to you and I just didn't have time, go to TMZ website or, or the TMZ Twitter page. Last night, a player from for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I don't know his name, uh, slid headfirst into third, and when he did, his iPhone came out of his pocket and fell on the ground. 
I saw the film of that tonight. And, you uh, know, that was hilarious. And then he tried to give it to the third base coach who acted like he didn't want to take it. Yeah. And he, he, he eventually looked at it and stuck it in his pocket. And, you know, I'm like, why is, a, why is a player carrying his cell phone around during the baseball game, running the it's bases? It's a good thing he slid head first and not, not uh, traditionally he would have broken it. Yeah. I don't know. It tickled me. I thought that was funny, too. And just, just along the line of sports, I, you know, we have to get into this more when we have more time. But there's a story this week that SMU uh, in, in Texas is going to offer $36,000 to each foot, men's, uh, men's football, men's basketball player per year for this name, image, likeness, NIL payment, 36000 apiece. Um, I remember when we first started talking about NIL and it was like once some players, they could market themselves. But now it's just like you come to the school, you get paid. Yeah. And that's in addition to their full scholarship, which at a school like SMU is probably 75 grand a year. And, and, and that doesn't change Joe Cadillac dealer from paying certain players over and above the scholarship and the NIL money that they get from SMU. Unbelievable how far we've come. And the other thing, and we'll tease this a little bit, but there was a, a hearing on a temporary restraining order, preliminary injunction, I'm not sure which they called it, uh, in the lawsuit filed by a number of PGA Tour players against the tour. Um, and apparently they, um, uh, the judge sort of handed, handed it to the LIV players yesterday in the, in the hearing on the on the injunctive relief and uh, we'll watch that and, and perhaps uh, go in depth a little bit at a uh, later show. All right. The dog seems to be uh, agitated. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the let's think about that podcast. You can email us at comments at let's think If you've enjoyed this show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider Leave us a review and tell your friends.